We are in a series called Compelling King. To compel. We talked about what that word meant last week as a definition. It means to to draw attention, but more than just attention, to draw you to. To literally pull us in to him. That's who our compelling king is. How? Like, what's so compelling about Jesus? And that's what we've been walking through in this series. You know, we started in Genesis with the creator king, as the song says here. And how he worked and how he basically created imperfection. God said it, and it was, and it was very good. Our creator king. But he was more than just creator. In the midst of human beings choosing to go their own way and everything unraveling, our sovereign God, his hand over and through and in it all, had a choice. He could have said, I'm absolutely crushing all this and stopping it. But his sovereign hand instead said, I'm working with the wills of mankind. And in the midst, we then see a whole more, like this huge unfolding of the God of the universe as he shows us who he is. It starts in the Old Testament as we see him as preparing king, as he begins to reveal his future plans. And he talks about all those things he will be doing, right? And we see it in, for example, the law, as he says, this is what holiness looks like. Or we see it in the um, Passover, where he was talking about, this is what I will look like as your sacrificial lamb covering you. Here's what you need to be expecting. He was preparing the way throughout the Old Testament. And then we hit the climax where Jesus, the supernatural king of the universe, bursts onto this natural scene, clothing himself with humanity. And he literally says, I'm here to serve. He says, actually, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. And I want you to grasp that with all you've got. The serving king. And he was demonstrating that through his help and word, through his help and power as he healed. And then we saw it in the next week in the ultimate serving as he sacrificed his very self. The sacrificial king. And this king, our great king, compelling and drawing us, providing for us this awesome replacement payment that we might know him, not just for a little time, but for all eternity. So then he rose from the dead and and we know there's the second coming. What in the world is in between? Like what's Jesus doing now? That's what we're covering today. Who is this compelling king today in my life? And, And what should I know about him and how should I be responding to him? The title for today's sermon is the interceding king. He's interceding for us. What does that word mean? It literally means to go on behalf of. That's what he's doing for you and me. So let's explore a little bit of that, okay? So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. Ephesians chapter 1. we got ushers coming forward, so just raise your hand and catch their attention if you need a Bible. They'll get one to you. Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. Now, normally we take a passage and we walk it through, and and here we're going to be covering a pretty broad range Of who Christ is in our lives. And so we're going to hit three different passages today. And we're going to talk about each of those. We'll start with Ephesians 1. So as we jump into a passage, it's always good to get what's going on in the context. So context. Paul is saying, I am very thankful for y'all. He's writing to Ephesians. So all you southern people, you're like, hallelujah. He said y'all. Right? I'm very thankful for y'all. It's amazing what God's doing in you. 
that's what's going on in Ephesians 1. As a matter of fact, I have a prayer for you. This is my hope for you. That's the context. What is that prayer and hope? Let's dive in. Verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, here's the first part of the prayer, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. My prayer is that you know three different things. And the first thing is that you know him. This is context, okay? He's saying, I want you to know the God of the universe. And the word he used there, it's not the Greek word gnosis, to know. It's epinosis. It's, I want you to have this detailed, specific, intimate, personal knowledge of him. I want you to be so fired up for who he is that nothing distracts you in your walk with him. I want you to know him with all you've got. Still in context here, second part of his prayer, he says, in verse uh, 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He's saying, I want you to know your future. I want you to know more than just him. I want you to know your future. You can know your hope. Now, we use that word hope today in a really pathetic way, right? In America, we say, Hey, is that true? Well, I hope so. Right? And what we mean is, I have no clue. I'm kind of thinking it might, and it would be really nice if it did. That is not what the word hope means biblically. Okay? The word hope means absolute confidence that this is true. I have a hope, a confidence in him and what he's providing. He will make good on his promise. That's our hope that he's called us to. Well, what does it include? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Our future as an inheritance. Eternity with him. Know him. Know your future. And then the third part of his prayer was know the power that's available in him. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The immeasurable greatness of his power. Like you don't have a ruler big enough. Know what I'm saying? Like, this power is so huge that there's no way you're getting your arms around it and telling me how big it is. His greatness of power is beyond all comprehension. Tap into him, and you tap into that. Know him, know your future, know his power. Which brings us up to verse 20 now, and that's where we're picking it up. The first point that we need to know is he is alive and seated at the right hand of the father. Submit to him. He is alive and seated at the right hand of the father. Submit to him. The power of God at work. This is what it's guaranteeing. Check out verse 20. It says that he worked in Christ. This is the power that he worked in Christ when he, God, raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This power that's at work in you, this power that you can know of him, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that literally took the entire sin of the world and managed it in one moment. That power at work in your life. I got to tell you, we walk through life 
not experiencing much of that power. Shame on us. It's our issue, not God's. We're missing it. We're putting up a veil. We're putting up a block. We're wandering along. And we are literally saying as we go, man, this Christian walk is hard. And it's because we're trying to muscle it all ourselves. You're experiencing the vast power of yourself. And you're like, that's pretty measurable. I've got a ruler for that one. It's not very big. You know what I'm saying? Why do I keep struggling? Because you're grasping onto the wrong power. May we tap into the power of the one that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? Now that's some power. It seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. At the right hand. This is like a place of preeminence. A position that's got honor associated with it. But more than that, the right hand of the Almighty is also the judging and ruling hand. He is seated at the judging, ruling hand of God the Father, saying, it is finished. Right? And he's seated, saying, the work is done. Justice is there, now available. The right hand of God the Father can be satisfied. Seated in this place of honor. Beside God the Father. The power that we can know. Accomplish that. God at work in me. God at work in this world. Notice though it says more than that. It was He was placed in the heavenlies. But now verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age. But also in the one that is to come. Far above all rule. Not above. Far above Right? Where's he placed? Way up above. Like nobody comes even close to his rule and authority. He has been placed far above. He is bigger than all. Notice the list here. It says he's been placed far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not some, not most, every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. He is bigger. Well, is he bigger than my friend? Yes. Is he bigger than the president of the United States? Yes. He is bigger than any name you can think of. Past, present, or future. More authority. He is bigger. We need to say that word together. Just say the word bigger with me. He is what? Bigger. Hey, that was good. With volume, too. Like, that is where we need to be. He is bigger. He has authority. His power, his reign, his rule. That is our king. Where is Jesus Christ right now? He is ruling over all things, and he is That was weaker. He is There we go. We got to be on this. That's who our king is. What's so compelling about him? Nobody bigger. That's what's so compelling. Seated at the right hand of the Father. It is finished. Work now paid. So what? He's just hanging out? We're going to talk about that in the next two points. But notice what it says here at the end. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Notice that he didn't just put Christ up. He also laid others under. He put all things under his feet. Absolute authority given to Jesus Christ. And then it says even to the church. 
what is this word church? Like, hey, let's go to church today, right? We can misuse the word. We can start talking about it as a place or a building. But what is the word in scripture? The word is the collection of people, right? In the Greek, it's ekklesia. It means the called out ones. It's all those who are literally called forth to worship him and give him glory. The called out ones are under his authority. We are following him and he is over us. He's the head over all things to the called out ones, you and me, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. Notice it says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the head of the church. In fact, we note that it says, Jesus Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. How could he guarantee such a thing? Because he is the head over all, including the church. And he is absolutely guaranteeing victory and growth and fulfillment. Our almighty king has awesome power and authority. We need to submit to him. We need to be compelled by him. We need to submit to him and recognize his glory and his authority. Top three ways we could submit to him. Thought I'd just throw these together. What do I do this week? How do I submit to him? That's a nice phrase. What do I do when I go home? Top three ways. Number one, breathe. I'm doing that now. I need, I mean a different kind of breathing, right? The spiritual breathing. And we talked about this several times throughout this year. We mean confessing, like exhaling out. And it's confessing whatever needs to go. This is the junk in my life, Lord, between me and you. This is where I've been taking the throne personally and I need to give it up. Please forgive me. Right? It's, Lord, please forgive. That's your cry as you breathe. But it's more than that. We breathe out and we only last so long. At some point you need something to inhale. And as we breathe in, it's, Lord, you're awesome. It's breathing in his promises. So the breathing is exhaling confession and it's inhaling his promises. It's you're amazing. You're unbelievable. You're so fulfilling. And and please forgive me as I've not been in alignment here. And I want to be. And Lord, make this part of my life shaped to you. Breathe. Second piece, grow. Second way to submit. It's breathe and then grow. And the prayer there is, Lord, Transform me. Lord, transform me. I know that I need to be changed, and this just isn't about human effort. I'm talking come into the very inner recesses of my heart and find the muck that needs to go and do the divine surgery that needs to remove it and leave me whole and full of life for you. Transform me before my very eyes. May your power do that. And then the third is obey. Lord, what do you want done? You could even put serve here. It's Lord, what do you want done? A lot of times we jump into a church setting and we're like, I'll just do some things. I'm going to serve, right? And we haven't breathed and we haven't been growing and we just start serving. I'm telling you, you're muscling it and your days are numbered for joy. You're going to fade because without the breathing, without the growing, we're just doing. And that's not where we want to be. True submission to him, breathing, 
growing and obeying, running after him with all you've got. Have you ever had one of those weeks where uh, stuff just seems to bother you more than it should? Where things come up, and it's littler things, but you're like, what in the world? Right? And then all of a sudden you have these little anger bursts and these frustration moments. Have you ever had one of those moments? It's just me? Have you ever had one of those moments? Okay, join me in this. Okay. So I had one of those weeks this week. And uh, so question. When you're too upset, notice the word too, T-O-O. When you're too upset, when you're too reactionary, when you're maybe too weak to stand up under it, What's going on? Let's diagnose this. You're like, glad he's the one being diagnosed and it's not me, right? Join me in this. Let's diagnose for a moment. What in the world is going on when I'm letting stuff bother me that much? Well, let's just go back to the three submission statements for a moment. If things are bothering me that much, am I really focusing on what I'm doing wrong? Or what others are doing wrong? How am I doing with that breathing thing? Am I confessing for them? Or for me, you know what I'm saying? Do you know what he's doing wrong? Can you see that they are, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden we're experts on where they need to confess. Meanwhile, we've done nothing, right? Be careful. The more you find yourself in that, I just can't handle this load mode. You probably are trying to take on the loads of the world and you're not actually just confessing. Nor are we really grasping the greatness of our God. The breathe is not going real well. How's the grow doing? Lord, transform me. Later, not right now, I'm a little ticked. Right? Lord, transform me. Even in this moment. How's the obey going? Lord, what do you want done? Yeah. I'm kind of interested right now in what I want done. And I'm not real happy about how this is going. Right? And all of a sudden we raise up into it. We need to be really careful. We can talk about all this stuff on a Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday, we got to be living it. Maybe we should say Sunday at 1 o'clock, Sunday at 11 for the 9 o'clockers. we got to be living it. We've got to be literally executing on what we're talking about. We're talking about breathing and growing and obeying in a way that honors Him. So how about you? You ready to go out this week and literally say, You are seated at the right hand of the Almighty. I will submit to you, Lord. You've got my attention. I'm breathing and I'm growing and I'm obeying. That's the first step. Second, he is interceding with a guarantee for us as his own. Thank him. This is from Romans chapter 8. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans 8. He is interceding with a guarantee for us as his own. Thank him. As we turn to Romans here, let's make sure we grasp the context of this as well now. Context. This is basically a privilege of life with him. That's Romans chapter 8. Privilege of life with him. That's what it's all about, okay? So as we're moving along throughout Romans chapter 8, he's celebrating all these different facets and, and benefits of knowing him. And now we end up in verse 33. Where it starts out with a question. And I need for you to give me the answer. 
Just so you know, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is no one. Are you ready? Here's the question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Answer? No one. We have to keep this in mind. Nobody has that privilege. Nobody gets to carry that through. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, what's a charge? It's a demand for the penalty of sin. Who gets to do that to a believer? No one. That's where we must stand. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. So you go back to the beginning of this chapter. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. No one can charge you. You are free from that. Well, how does that work? The answer is right after it. It is God who justifies. God providing for us a justification. He is literally saying, got this one covered. That's what he's saying. Nobody gets to ask that question because God gets to say, already handled. Somebody might bring it up, but God's certainly going to shut it down. That's where you get to stand. Covered. Justified. Nobody bringing a challenge against you if you trust in Jesus Christ. Second question, same answer. Ready? Who is to condemn? Answer? No No one. Who is to charge God's elect? No one. Who is to condemn? No one. We got to be on that big. There is nobody anywhere, anytime that can challenge our position with him. No one. What does it say? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised. We have his death and resurrection as a replacement payment for us. Absolutely nothing puts that in question. No one. That's where we get to stand. Who is at the right hand now of God the Father? And here we go, big statement. Who indeed is interceding for us. Our interceding king. See, Job chapter 1 gives us a little picture of what might be going on in the heavenlies even now. Because he runs before the throne and he challenges and says, look at that man. That's pathetic. I bet I could turn him, right? A challenge made before the heavenlies about us. That could happen. Newsflash. Jesus Christ is interceding for us, it says here. Standing in the gap. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says he is our advocate. Well, what does it mean that he's doing? It means that he's literally saying this from his position on the throne. Mine. No one speaks of that one that way. She is mine. Covered. Move on. Do you hear it? Total authority in protecting you. You Have the Almighty standing in the gap for you. Not just with a word against, but also rallying to your side. Now hear me on this, be careful. Rallying to your side to assist, not because it's all about you. But because in the midst of doing such, we literally start to worship and glorify Him more. Do you hear it? It's all turned back to Him and to His glory. But He is interceding for us literally saying to the gates of hell no more with that challenge she's mine he is mine that one is covered with my shed blood debt 
paid. Do you hear it? That's confidence. And no one can challenge it. That's where we stand. He is interceding with a guarantee for us as his own. Might be a good time to thank him. Right? What a nice response. Uh, thank you for that. Unbelievable gift. That's our opportunity of responding to him. Notice he goes on from here. He's got a third question. Gee, I wonder what the answer is. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer? No one. No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now hear this. Wrestle with this theology and make it real today. Who's going to separate me from Jesus Christ and his love? No one. Answer? Look at verse 35. It says right in the middle there. Shall tribulation, you know, those problems and troubles and struggles and pains, or distress or persecution or famine, maybe a no food thing, or nakedness or danger or sword, are any things in this world going to separate me from him? No. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Verse 37, love the answer, starts it out with the word, No, that's it. Nothing is going to separate us from his love. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. It doesn't say in all these things, you got a pretty good shot. When all these things, hey, you'll conquer. In all these things, you will be more than conquerors. You've got this one. Hang on. Let my power be unleashed in you. And you are going to be amazed at what you can experience. I am with you for eternity. Nothing is going to separate me from you. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a guarantee. Amen? Amen. Nothing is going to separate us. Listen to the list. Can you imagine Paul writing this? He's like, for I am sure that neither death nor life will separate us. No, that's not powerful enough. For I am sure that neither death nor life, well, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers or height or depth, or, uh, you know what, anything else in all of creation, I don't care what it is, nothing is going to separate you from Christ. Guaranteed. You are guaranteed life. You are guaranteed victory. You are eternally secure. If you trust in him as your savior, if you lean upon him and his shed blood for you, we have an amazing opportunity to thank him for all that he's doing for us. No matter what we get into, no matter what pain we're experiencing, no matter the distraction of the week or how much we'd like to whine about it, no matter what's going on, we've got a God who's working with us. And he is not separated from us. Lean on him, your interceding king with all you've got. Thank him for what he's providing for you. Some of you this week are going through some rough 
stuff. Thank him for being with you in that. And ask him for this power, this love, to draw you close to him like never before. Grab a hold of that. Grab a hold of it now. And thank him with all you've got. Why wouldn't we be thankful? What would hold us back? I found this quote this week from Henry Henry Ward Beecher. He says, Pride slays thankfulness. But a humble mind is the soil out of which thanks grows. Then he explains it. A proud man is seldom a grateful man. Why? For he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. Ouch. The more we let pride and self take over, the less thanks there will be, the less consideration of the cross there will be, the less thanks for the throne and the power from the throne and the love and the refusal to separate from us. And all of a sudden we're angry and we're upset and we're frustrated and we're, well, we're humanizing the whole thing. Let's make sure that we absolutely experience the power and the compelling love of Jesus Christ in our lives. Sometimes it might be in the midst of tears. He gets that. You might very well be looking at him and see the shimmering image because of the tears in your eyes. But God is working with you. And in the midst of that pain, he is there with you and moving through it with you. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Amen. That's our interceding king right here with us. So question. Are you living thankfully? How are you doing with that? The reviewing of the day and the events and being able to say, thank you, Lord, that you are dot, dot, dot. Is pride maybe blocking a little bit of that thankfulness? I deserve more than this. It shouldn't be this way. Lean on him. Trust in him. Allow him to guide you through whatever he's calling you through. Maybe another question that we could throw to this too. Uh, How are you doing in following Jesus' model as the interceding king? Notice this. The role from the gates of hell is to accuse the body. The role of Jesus Christ is to intercede. Which role are you taking on? Accuser or interceder? Are you interceding for the body? Are you praying for those who are hurting and struggling? Are you representing what Christ would represent? Or are you saying, can you believe that loser? What's with so-and-so? And they watch the accusing. We must rally together, body with body, arm in arm, protecting one another, praying for one another, caring for one another, helping one another in whatever is going on. Because that's what our king does. Amen? That's what it's all about. The interceding king. Follow his model. And thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Submission and thanks. Those are our first two steps. Third. He is being passionately worshipped. Join in. He is being passionately worshipped. Join in. We're going to go into Revelation 4 and 5 here. He is being passionately worshipped. 
right now. God Almighty being given what he justly deserves. I'm just going to go through chapter 4 as kind of a setup, as sort of a context involvement. So this is a huge context thing, okay? But it's powerful, and I don't want to step aside on it. So here we go. Context for Revelation 5 is Revelation 4. It says, After this, I, John, the writer of the book, looked, and behold, a door standing open into heaven, with an exclamation point. Do you think? Have you ever looked up and seen a door into heaven? Me neither. That's why there's an exclamation point, right? And the first voice which I heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, you know, one of those loud blasts that you can hear throughout everywhere that you stand, a blast of a trumpet saying, come up here. Verse 2, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. Verse 3, and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Jasper, like this bright Transparent, reflective, unbelievably brilliant stone. And carnelian, a ruby, red, deep red. So this rich red and and reflective jasper. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Quite possibly still the emerald we see today, that shimmering green. So just picture this. you got to really kind of use your mind's eye now, okay? So use a lot of your eyes closed. It's okay. I won't think you're sleeping, okay? Like picture the rainbow that's shimmering emerald green and this bright jasper reflecting a ton of light and the ruby deep rich red. That's what we're seeing on the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on those thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now you see the white and the gold. And don't forget the jasper and the emerald and the carnelian. And the, Are you seeing all these colors just flashing forth and filling his eyes? From the throne came, here we go, flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Like at 6 o'clock this morning, right? Peals, not just thunder, not just boom, but like peals. You know where you hear the... You know what I'm talking about? And then the rumble afterwards where everything around you goes. You know what I'm talking about? That's what he's seeing. Big bolts of lightning and peeling thunders and everything's rumbling in the unbelievable picturesque colors that he's seeing as he's looking at the throne of the almighty. And it says, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit himself standing before the throne and before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal a sea of glass it's like a vast pavement of crystal laid out ahead of him absolutely stunning and gorgeous and authoritative and a little bit scary as the thunder is rumbling, like three nights ago, we had this massive hit of lightning. I swear it hit the swing set next to our house. It sounded, I mean, you heard this, kawam, and you heard it go ring in the swing set. Like two seconds later, Alyssa's in our bed saying, can I sleep under the covers, right? I'm like, I don't know. I'm already under the covers and I'm scared. You know what I mean? Like it was booming and it was close and there was authority. And that was one bolt. Imagine seeing this. And witnessing the power and the picturesque view of what's going on. It says then down a little bit at the end of verse 8. 
there were four creatures and this is what they were saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Well, how often were they doing that? They never ceased to say it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It was like a Muzak track playing in the background all the time. Don't forget the perspective. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why repeat it three times? In the Hebrew, when you repeat something three times, you mean ultimate example of, the epitome of holiness. No one more holy than him. Holy, holy, holy. That's why we repeat it three times over. Is the Lord God Almighty. All power is in Him. All authority in Him. He on the throne. And we recognizing Him. That's what these four creatures are saying. Who was and is and is to come. Who was and is and is to come. Time, no matter where you're at, this is true. Eternally this way always was always will be this is our God That's what's being said and then right after it We see that the 24 elders they respond like every time these four creatures speak out These 24 elders go after it themselves and they're tossing crowns at them and they're saying verse 11 worthy are you O Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things And by your will, they existed and were created. Worthy are you to receive this attention and glory. You created it. This is God the Father on the throne, a representation of him on the throne. And it's saying you've created. Hang on, I thought you said Jesus was creator. Yep. And in Genesis 1, he says, let us make man in our image. The Godhead involved in the creation and God the Father being recognized for his role as creator and sustainer and provider with a will. God the Father being worshipped. That's what's going on here. And we literally are getting a little snapshot of it. And John's trying to describe it with the best he can. I don't know, it's kind of like emeralds or something, you know, and I saw some, it's like Jasper and Carnelian and I'm telling you the rumbling and the booms and the, right? We're getting just a glimpse of the worship going on. And as God the Father sits there, look at chapter five, verse one. We're still in context, by the way, of third point. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice because his voice was heard throughout the entire heavens. I don't know who this angel is, but we want to meet him someday. He doesn't have a good inside voice, right? (laughs) Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. It was very clear to him that this scroll contained the essence of the future of what was going on. The need for and the must to open the scroll. And no one is found worthy. And in this tension of waiting for someone to respond, can you imagine? Who can open this? And you're just waiting. And it it says no one was able. It's quite possible there were some who even tried. And could not even take the scroll from his hand. And in that moment it became obvious. 
that there was a problem. And he was weeping loudly. I love this verse now. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Can you imagine that moment? As he's on his knees, weeping uncontrollably at the concern for the future of all mankind, one of the elders goes, Dude, weep no more. Behold, the Lamb of Behold means check it out. It's like raise your head up. Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Why isn't he calling the Lamb now? He's calling him the Lion because the first time Christ came, he came as Lamb. But the next time he comes, trust me, he'll be coming as Lion. We're going to be talking about that next week. And he's reflecting on who Jesus Christ already is in his role. And he says, behold, and look at him. Check out the next verse, verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Jesus Christ there. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. He went and he took it and he was able. Why? Because he had conquered. Because it is finished. Because all authority sits in Jesus Christ. Remember, it's all under him. And as he walks over to take it, God the Father opens up his hand and lets that go into the very hands of Jesus Christ. Our lamb, our lion, our king. Amen. And he is holding the, the scrolls and he begins to step forward. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. It's time for some worship, boys. They dropped right there and they said, it's time for him to get all the attention. Verse nine. And they sang a new song. What kind of song did they sing? What kind of song did they sing? A new song. They sang a new song. And this is what the words were. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom. And priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Let's just break it down for a second. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. The rest of this book is going to be about what you unleash with your authority and power. You get my attention. You are worthy. Notice what he says next. Why? Because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. You paid for us. That's what he's saying. The people of God covered. It's amazing what you've done for mankind. It's amazing. We literally get to look and say we deserve nothing. And we get the king of kings standing in the gap for us, taking the scroll, getting ready to take all authority in his hands, our king for you and me, because of what was done on the cross at Calvary. That's our hope. Amen. When we talk hope, it's absolutely certain. That's what we're trusting in. And notice the effect. Every tribe and language and people and nation 
Yeah, they're all coming to him. There's going to be representatives from every group. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, able to go straight into the throne room of the heavenlies. And they shall reign on the earth. The privilege of sitting under his authority. He's on top. He's giving us direction. Now, this is what I love. That was part one of worship. Part two, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Picture this, ten thousands of angels. All right, first we started out with 28 beings. We got the 24 elders and the four creatures with high authority, big voices. And they rip it, right? You are worthy. And it thunders through the heavens. And like all of a sudden the 10,000 angels hear that and they're like, we're in next. Hang on. Right? And that thing gets done with that statement and they step up and they've got a quote to say. And I mean, we are talking 10,000s upon 10,000s of booming angelic voices throughout the heavens ripping this phrase. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He should get it all. Worthy is our king to get attention. Amen? That's just the ten thousands of angels. We're not done. Part three of worship. Check this out. Verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne, God the Father, And to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever ripping through the world. All nations, all creatures recognizing who he is, thundering forth his worship. That's what he deserves. Amen. Hey, when we talk about doing church, what are we talking about? Why do we rally together and do this each week? What do we... Because we're building worshipers. Each and every week, each and every way, you and me have a job to get a little more of me out of the way and a little more of him centered on the throne that he might be worshipped. And as we continue to bring worshipers in and grow worshipers deep, we are beginning to join in the song that says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. That's the phrase we get to say. Our Jesus on the cross of Calvary for us. Let's just say it together. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Say it again. Say it to him. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Again to him. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Now imagine that. Ten thousands upon ten thousands of angels. We're talking 400, 500 here. Ten thousands booming through the heavens. Him being glorified and worshipped. We've got a chance to join in. And this is what I love. As all creatures step up to say to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. 
fourth stanza, they get to stand up and say, Amen. And it shuts down. Now that's power. Amen. Can you imagine that amen booming? Like I'm sure he's waiting till the end and he's watching this thing crescendo. And all of a sudden we see them literally standing up. It says, and the four living creatures said with a giant exclamation point, so be it. That's the way it should be. Now that's some worship. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm just going to ask our worship team to come on up and get set up. And I just want to talk for a second here to kind of set our hearts. We need to do some worshiping today. When we talk about joining in a new song, when we talk about praising him and worshiping him, it's our job to literally say, worthy is the lamb that was slain to lift him up with all we've got. And I'm telling you, there's distractions of life that occur. We're going to take a moment. We're going to set them aside. Get him's front stage center. My request to you is this. As we sing this song, sing not about him. Sing to him. If you need to, picture the throne and the 24 thrones and the jasper and the carnelian and the emerald and the thunder and the lightning and the rumbling and the picture our God being worshipped and our chance to join in and literally say, you are worthy. That's our job as worshipers, okay? Why don't you stand and I'm just going to close this in a quick prayer here and enter into some time of worship.